You're listening to Plans We Make. I'm Rafiq Bhatia, guitarist for Sunlux, and this is the third of our first three episodes discussing the theme of technology with some of our favorite artists and collaborators. Today I'll be talking with DeAntony Parks, experimental drummer, songwriter, film director, actor, record producer, thinker, educator, and one of my favorite living musicians. Among his many musical accomplishments, DeAntony was a member of the Mars Volta and appears on recordings by Flying Lotus and Sade, among many others. He is a touring member of John Cale's band and is one half of the writing duo We Are Dark Angels with producer and keyboardist Nikki Casper. But he is perhaps most renowned for his solo work under the moniker Technoself, performing seemingly impossible and impossibly musical feats, drumming with one half of his body while playing samplers with the other half. I first met DeAntony at a Sunlux show in Indianapolis, but I'd been a big fan of his work for years before that. I still remember noticing him walking in during one of our improvisational moments and doing a double take. Getting to know him better the past few years has only increased my reverence for his truly expansive perspective. I had the chance to catch up with Dee recently, and this is where it went. Hey everybody, this is Rafiq Bhatia with Sunlux, joined today by a man who needs no introduction, the great DeAntony Parks, who is a visionary thinker, extraordinary musical mind and technological mind, here to talk with me today about the singularity, among other things. Welcome, Dee. How you doing? Thank you, Rafiq. And I mean, listen, that was a wonderful introduction. <laughs> I'm going to try to live up to all of that, of course, but uh, very excited to be here with you. Um, yeah, man, likewise. Uh, I'm not going to ask you where you are because I know you work in clandestine ways. So <laughs> let's just say that you're somewhere in orbit. Um, That's for sure. And um, <laughs> so I think it might be pertinent to start with an exploration of your relationship to technology and how we think about technology. You know, and I think especially at a time where there is such a drive towards the incorporation directly of machines in performance and the sort of integration between sort of what we think about as mechanical, which has to do largely at this point with computing. So much of what you do strikes me as being the sort of uh, zenith of what's possible with human or technological, you know, non-human technological means. But I feel like you're harvesting a different kind of technology, you know, and there are like science fiction novels and things like this in which people grow technology and it's biological in nature and organic in nature and you know we can imagine futures in which are you know rather than using computing based technology the world would move towards a organic technology and i feel like your presence in music foreshadows such a occurrence you know because it's it's on the one hand using mechanics that have been around for so long you know like the drum set has been with us for a long time and before that you know percuss percussion instruments are you know some of the oldest instruments we have and of course like our own technical facility is something that dates back to our existence and then the sort of keyboard sampler sequencer kind of triggering systems are you know also like it's this direct to touch kind of methodology and for people who aren't familiar with your work which i'm sorry for them um <laughs> you guys have to check out videos of d performing because a lot of what you hear on records that sounds super heavily produced um that you know, feels like it could have only been the result of pretty heavy post-production is captured with a fluidity because what D is doing is so facile and so direct and comes to life in 
the moment in response to a moment, and that's only possible because he's using such direct means. Um, and so I want to talk to you about that, D. I know that's a long question, but it's... That's beautiful. It's sort of, I feel like at a time where there are so many emerging technologies and there are a lot of w people who are working on incorporating those things, your work to me is a reminder of the fact that even ancient technologies have untapped potential and future mm. and sometimes actually the imagination is kind of the the most important means of foreseeing what's possible and what can be possible mm -hmm. well that's well said i mean and you're spot on with with all of that particularly that ending piece you know i mean i've um i mean coming you know being born in the late 70s and like being pre-MIDI and uh, watching MIDI come and watching uh, MIDI was a big deal. That wave hit me strongly as I was already performing. I was already into one interface, which was the drum, which is a superior interface. Um, and it has been with us for forever. Um, exist in our own bodies, of course. But, you know, and then the, the keyboard was my next interface that I was fascinated with because just the way it's set up with the the mapping abilities it has and still percussive but you know the notes are arranged in a different way um, and then you know quickly I love piano um, but I also love ghosting the internal sound and creating you know being being able to trigger any sound you know so that's that MIDI really hit me hard um, and since then you know since 85 86 I've really been experimenting with those two interfaces, the, the drum set and the um, and the and the keyboard. And until now, it's funny that I've just now brought them together. But um, but I've always been practicing, uh, you know, using sequencers, and I would compose and then jump on the kit and then enjoy that interaction. But it, it was a bit, you know, separated, and I never like that you know um and so it, you know this is a very long journey for me to bring them together um and be able to access these things this information in real time which is the ultimate you know i believe in flow state you know as humans you know um the technology and human thing is i've had so many revelations within that um for so long and my, my most recent one is um stumbling across this term techno self as soon as i saw that it just saw it it really revealed so much to me that i had been missing since that 80s time period through the 90s uh blah 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 you know and on and on and when i saw that you know sometimes a word can do that for you it almost acted as the chemical language, you know, in that way. I saw exactly what the word meant within the, you know, it was all there. Um, so for me, I, I, you know, I repurposed that term, of course, um, to say that the self, meaning all bio life forms, are the only technology. Everything else is a tool. And that, that really um, simplified uh, a, a big idea for me. Um, and as you can see, I've kind of run with it, <laughs> you know, as soon as I saw I, I repurposed that, um, I understood that, you know, and so honestly, that's how I look at things. I look at things as the only technology that there really is, is plants and, you know, bio life forms. We still don't know what photosynthesis is. We still don't know how that works. You see what I'm saying? Like there's so much, like you said, ancient technology here that we just consider things that we can buy at Best Buy technology. You know what I'm saying? That's because of the consumer environment we live in, okay? Um, but um, I believe in that statement so much that I've even started my own school um, to literally base that idea off of, to literally change our thoughts on this, you know what I mean? Especially uh, for my creative technologists out there, including us. and. Well, essentially every human being, <laughs> every human is a scientist. We're all creative and we're all scientists, you know, like no more separating. You see what I'm saying? Um, we're taught that like the scientists come over here 
and everyone else go over here, you know, what an illusion, you know, no, let's come back to the reality where our technology, our, our data is the heaviest here. You know, you're talking, what, a million plus years of human data that we've collected and been here, 20,000 years for our civilizations, and we're supposed to be afraid of AI. <laughs> like, how many years does AI have underneath this belt, you know? But again, with that statement about us, bio-life forms being the only real technology, um, they, you know, these things start to become real and you can kind of discover that for yourself. So um, that's just where I am mentally and that's the message that I'm sending in this kind of post-tech czar world <laughs> that we're in, you know? I mean, I don't know if we're post. <laughs> I think we're very much yeah. in the tech czar moment. But yeah, I okay. I'm really glad that I wasn't totally off base with that. Oh, you were spot on, man. Because it really it strikes me as something that is reorienting and reaffirming in a lot of ways. Because I think when you consider the fact that you know, like when all of us listen to music what our brains are doing as far as we understand is there is a kind of empathy that's happening where you're imagining what human beings other human beings had to do what movements they had to make to generate the sound that is being produced and i think that inside of that reality there's something extra powerful about coming to bear witness how human action can be so deeply inspired by ways of organizing and producing and relating to sound that actually have very little if anything or any basis anyway i won't say anything to do with but any basis in direct human action on our environment you know the processor in your brain is so sophisticated and you have you've evolved that computer that internal computer to be at a level where the machines would be struggling to keep up like i've i've read that you've talked about the importance of that immediacy in your practice but i wonder whether you can relate that or how you relate that back to your choice of tools you know um and whether that decision is something that reflects a like an underlying aesthetic priority. I mean, well, I, you know, I, mean, I use those um, particular two interfaces because those are the most comfy for me to speak on. I mean, that's why I had to, you know, involve, of course, the uh, acoustic drums, uh, which I am just, that's that ancient, you know, talk about collective memory, you know, everyone knows this song, <laughs> you know the drum, <laughs> you know what I mean? So having that there, but then also bringing in that tool um, to it to solve a problem, um, the the keyboard came in as a problem solver to what I was looking for, which is you know writing things and uh, composing in real time, of course, to give me different results, um, and then also uh, using the more cognitive side of myself, essentially um, that part of us that does so much of the work <laughs> that we don't even have to pay attention to. I've essentially assigned these task to more so that side of my body um, and mind because of the real-time aspect. Um, like I said, we have, you know, uh, at least a million plus years of human data just that we all come with embedded in our, this is what we get. It's in the manual if you read it. Um, but, uh, you know, and we, starting with that, you understand that you have access to lots of rhythms. Uh, you know, I, I just call it all data. You know, uh, and that's just our intelligence and all of these things that we've amassed. You, you know, we come with a library of this stuff. Um, so uh, typically, a lot of these things are mysteries to us. We can't just kind of reach in there and, and grab it. You know, it's kind of in places that we kind of have to find almost cheat codes to try to get in there and find these kind of mysterious wells of energy. You know, as the same out outwards. You know, there's in space. We can only see what up to 14 and a half billion years back. That's just a very dim light. You know, obviously there's more, um, and that's kind of what's going on in our own brains. So the way that I mine that information is by existing in the in the moment, um, because our data is, you know, 
that we're made to that's kind of where our data is and our expertise is is as humans is being in the moment um we're a machine that can react in like split second you know uh transaction time you know like so i find that being in that kind of flow state when i'm not thinking as much basically participating in a transient hypofrontality experiment um, it, you know, it kind of lets me use the data and all of the muscle, you know, the muscle memory and all those things in different ways. It's like shutting down all the applications on your computer so that the ones that you're running use the available processing power as fully as possible. And I think that thing that you just said about there being these sort of mysterious, difficult to access parts of how our brain works, it brings to mind how as an observer of your practice and seeing how you've been able to break through not just the interfaces that you're using but also the implications of what you're doing break certain conventions in music in general so like no matter how you produce the music that you're making it appears somewhat impossible you know what i mean and i think mm -hmm. for for somebody who's watching it happen the beauty of it is like i was saying in the past question when you're watching it happen you understand exactly how it's happening in a way, even as there's this mystery of how it is possible for someone to be able to do what you're doing. There isn't so much of a question about like what is happening in the same way that there is when you listen to the music without seeing someone do it, because it's hard to imagine anyone being able to do what yes. you're doing through any means. Um, not just, you know, it doesn't change it when you find out. Like, I remember when I first heard techno self and it was before i really knew about your solo practice and mm -hmm. somebody mentioned that it was all performed live and i would have thought that i would be amazed by that or like that that would heighten my appreciation of it in some kind of way but it actually didn't at all like i was just like in a way it was like oh that makes sense like that's the only mm. way that this could be possible because the producer side of my brain was like how would you program this there is no way you know the machines can't do this so like you know and i guess sharing your ultimate belief in the fact that the machines can inspire us but we have a better technology that we can put to work but in terms of those hard to access parts of your brain um one of the things that machines do so well which make them immediately appealing for this kind of thing i feel like is the ability for you know like you've got a certain amount of processing power and memory and then you can basically run any combination of processes or applications at once so mm -hmm. multitasking wise without very much work the thing just immediately multitasks fully you know oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. one of the things about human beings is that we're not really wired that way naturally and so you know like it's hard to develop that independence of mind and right. when i heard your music i was like okay it makes so much sense that he's a drummer not only because of the obvious like you know way in which the music is organized and stuff like that but the independence in it is something that drummers are uniquely kind of tasked with cultivating and have a have developed over the years and centuries a praxis for cultivating the ability to multitask and to extend your body and your mind in all of these different directions simultaneously you know like what people call independence yes and i was wondering how that practice of developing independence in the way that you did early on like whether you see that as this is totally a leading question um but i'm wondering if and how you see that independence factoring into the broader sort of cognitive independence that has been required for you to make the kind of music that you're making now yeah well it goes back to that that data and um you know i i like to do as much of the you know obviously the ability that we have to process um is unmatched um just mentally and so 
the with I guess playing multiple instruments at once has really taught me is to just you know to really it's taught me to see the limbs as literal as machines themselves obviously like um like each limb like uh you know I would just kind of look at like just from the shoulder to the hand like just an arm and just kind of look at it like um I guess when I was younger, I would look at just encyclopedic kind of pictures and anatomy pictures, and they literally didn't look human to me. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Uh, I know I'm human, okay, but I was already, I, I, this was pre the whole, you know, uh, technology and self coming together. So my, I was kind of like still kind of almost baffled, and it was all still mysterious, but I just looked at, the, you know, like the human foot and the hand as these things are like insane machines, you know, but it was almost like I wasn't allowed to, um, I, I didn't have those kind of mentors at that time that were into computer science or uh, any kind of engineering, you know what I mean? So I was kind of far away from those people, but those things were stirring up just because of what I'm looking. So, um, so I wanted to make sure um, I knew that uh, I could do a lot of the effects of VSTs and such delays or stutters or um all the vsts i love you know um but i would make sure i could process these things within my body you know um and was that I was that like a conscious yeah. sorry to interrupt you but was that a conscious yeah. thing that you were doing in response to hearing those kinds of effects deployed in music yes because you know i was a big fan of square pusher and uh all of these amazing you know uh, the early amon tobin records and you know, drum and bass for Papa and, you know, plug and like, oh, as soon as I heard, I knew that these things were not able to be played by a live <laughs> musician. So that literally intrigued me, of course. So my time in school when, you know, everyone else is learning, you know, they're just uh, mastering their instrument, you know what I'm saying? Um, but because I had that MIDI impact, that kind of MIDI big bang for me, years earlier so by the time I did get to a school environment that had where I had access to every synth I could imagine or all of these sync sequencing abilities and that real laboratory um, that's when I really started getting into those like those impossibly uh, you know these things that were produced that could not be played live because that's all I heard you know so naturally I was for context for those listening you were yeah. what? You were four when you started receiving formal instruction on the drums. Uh, yeah, well, I, I started. Uh, yeah, I started like a little bit before that, but that was the age where I, I grabbed uh, the local uh, high school teacher, you know, and reached out to him, and he was like, "How old is this kid?" And he's like, "I don't. I'm a serious teacher. I don't teach kids." You know what I'm saying? But then when I met when I met him, he was like okay, you're better than me at drum kit already. Okay, let's start you with like, and that's when I started reading and the rudimental stuff and all of that and the percussion, you know, introduction to theory and all those things. Because luckily my first teacher was not just a percussion. You know, he was also, uh, he was a multi-instrumentalist and like from brass to, you know, flute, he played everything actually. So I got really lucky with that. Um, so I never got a only uh, drum approach. So that really kept me very broad, you know, very thankful. It's interesting because in certain kinds of ways, you have managed to facilitate different kinds of internal interconnection, you know, like you're like rewiring what's happening in mm -hmm. your mind in order to be able to do um, the kinds of things that you're doing in your music. But there's also this element of, imagining how that could give back to the world of computing or like be translated back into that world. Um, yes. I know that you've been working with some computer scientists and engineers on mm -hmm. AI related implementations of mm -hmm. sort of your, you know, seeing if you can bottle your musical approach or aspects of your musical approach and have it kind of learn itself in a new in you know extra out of, not out of body but like yeah like outside of yourself like so that yes. machines can learn from what you've developed and for that to you know I, i've heard you 
mentioned and read that you've mentioned in more than one instance that it kind of allows you to live on in a way um, into another chapter. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm curious about what's motivated that and also where that stands and, and you know, how that's going and stuff. Oh, totally. Um, well, you know, since we're so motivated by mortality, you know, obviously I have a side of me that's like, well, let me invest in some in the immortal things. And that comes from sharing our expression with other people too. your immortality. You know, uh, the more you get deep into other people's hippocampus, you know, you can live longer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's one natural way. Um, but I also do plan on, you know, and I'm working on this right now um, but because look I mean artificial intelligence is kind of nothing without our input so taking that example and that inspiration it's like yeah AI needs me you know I, I feel all of a sudden I feel needed and you know wow I need, they need my input oh wow. how sweet it's fantastic it's such a sweet gesture and that's really what it is uh, so with that notion I'm like okay my input here it is you know so I certainly uh, am working on like feeding uh, as much uh, data uh, on myself into a VST that people could in interact with, uh, you know, everyone, you know, programming uh, rhythmic systems. And, you know, this is hard for even percussionists. You know, everyone has a, a problem with that. So um, we all need a, a new drum machine upgrade, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm very interested in providing um, something in that manner that has a lot of me in it, you know, for instance, uh, you know, a drum machine that where you could actually turn on my heartbeat and, you know, at different emotions and, uh, you know, just give you different, like so many different parameters for, you know, I, you know, so you're thinking differently about like, you know, you have a guitar piece and you're like, I need a drum system on this. Oh, D has a VST for this. Let me check it out. But it may not think it, you know, it may not be what you think it is because, you know, you, you turn it on and maybe the drum machine is like, I'm feeling good, but in order to participate in your work, I will have to feel a little better, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And, you, and you're just like, wait, what? And it's all, I'm just kidding. Here is the beat. I think you'll like it, you know, some things like that, like something way more personal. I want you to be able to speak to your drum machine. It, you should learn from it. You know what I mean? It should teach you how to become a better musician and human <laughs> you know um i think that should be encoded in all of our software from here on out yeah i mean Man, i feel like you learned a lot from your drum machine so why shouldn't everyone else <laughs> yeah. you know and you know i love roger lynn i love you know i love it when a, a, a computer is personalized you know like you put a real name on it you know yeah, you know, because people like you'll be talking like I've been working with Roger. Roger's been doing my drums for years, you know. And they're like Roger, who? Oh, oh, Roger Lynn, the the, the drum computer, you know. And so I like the personification of that. You know, a lot of him was in that machine somehow. I just want to take that to a over the top place, <laughs> you know. Um, and where's that at so far? How's it? Yeah. So uh, we'll shout out to to Georgia Tech. Um, they've been very welcoming to me i'm not part of the staff um, but they've really opened the doors i mean i have a long history with georgia tech going back to the uh, 96 olympics you know the we were kind of based out of uh, their campus so i got very close with them back then um, and it's kind of continued that relationship but uh, and then you know they brought in gil weinberg from mit the famous software writer and just an amazing uh, human um, and we uh, met and just kind of hit it off. And he's been so important to my kind of exploration into this world. And he's, you know, supplied me amazing people to work with on these matters. And, you know, he's even, you know, hooked me up with Jerron, uh, you know, Linear, you know. So he's even got me on the phone with him just to speak. And, like, you know, of course, I invited him to my festival. He couldn't do it. But, you know, he's like, hey, I had to turn down TED this year. I had to do all this. I was like, it's all good. But he was so interested in, in my festival and this techno self idea that we were talking about. So, you know, so they're very close to my heart, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so shout out to them. And, um, you know, um, from there, it's, it's just kind of been my unofficial laboratory. Uh, I've been spending the most time 
as far as collaborating and think tanking. Um, I've done more of that with, uh, you know, people like Gil in the last five years. So um, I kind of needed that deep dive to then help me understand, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, talk about, like, the whole engineering aspect of what I'm doing. Like, every note that you hear, everything that you hear, you see it happening. So when I perform for, like, an engineering school or a computing-based school, they're literally looking at it like that, you know. Like, they're they're quicker to that than than other audiences, you know what I mean? Because that's is permitted for them to think in that way, you know. Um, and so that's that's what's so refreshing, and they appreciated that. And you know, I, I mean, I love a, a lot of the programmers out there, um, but going to see them live, I I feel I cringe. I'm like, oh, I need to see that beat happen. I really need to see that. Why do I need to see that? Oh yeah, because I'm a human. I'm not a bot, you know. Oh, then that's why. Okay. Uh, I don't have all these nerve endings for nothing. You know what I mean? Like people do want that challenge. And it's a lot like, um, it's like, like the fashion world today. You know, the most famous works, you see the inner workings on the outside of the clothing and you see the, this inside outside game, you know, we want to see the guts and like, oh, cool. You know? Um, and that's kind of what I kind of put on display, um, for the sake of humanity. You know, this is what, this is kind of another thing that we're capable of, you know. Uh, go think about that. Yep. <laughs> Lots <laughs> you know. to think about. Um, but I'm curious, in the same way that you were talking about, you know, engineering students seeing what you're doing and um, being able to take it apart in a certain kind of way that isn't encouraged to most of us, um, but is sort of trained in them. Um, mm -hmm. Is there an aspect or has there been any aspect to the process of working with those folks that's allowed you to see what you're doing from an external perspective? Or have there been insights that have come from that kind of a process? I mean, it's just like it was like coming home, <laughs> like kind of being around, uh, you know, the, the, the computer scientists and that kind of atmosphere. And Georgia Tech, ironically enough, is one of the only schools that combines the music department and robotics for instance and technology so the technology and music building are like this thank you that makes sense don't stop stop telling me that like this is separate from computing separate from writing you know separate from coding no they're all tools that you know the brain gives us a glimpse into how it actually works so these things are directly connected, you know, I mean, obviously it, it, it's the basis of liberal arts, you know, the, the, the reason why astronomy and mathematics, you know, uh, you know, math, all those things are together, geometry, they're grouped together, you know, this is, we under, we know this, but somehow we've kind of gotten away from that, you know, somehow, especially within the institutions, I'm saying. So um, that's why I felt such a need to create a portal where we could, all those things collapse like cosmology, music, um, you know, uh, AI, uh, you know, all of these topics kind of just come humanity, you know. They well, they just... all are each other, as you're pointing out. And that's always been my gripe with institutional approaches is that they're so concerned with, you know, you'd think of music as being a creative field, but there's actually so much of it that the way that it's taught that is about reverse engineering the work of others, you know, and it's taking apart what other people have done and trying to figure out how that worked in order to make the next thing. Like, imagine if, like, Steve Jobs had just been like, okay, I'm just going to, like, take apart the first computer and look at it over and over again and figure out how to put it back together. Like, we wouldn't be having this conversation this way right now. You know, like, it's just... The what seems so obvious to me is that you have to learn about all of the principles that are involved. You have to learn about sound as a physical phenomenon. You have to learn yes. about um, sound as energy. You have to learn about it as data. You have to learn about human um, technology from the perspective of where your you know I read something where you were talking you were comparing music and athletics it was like in a um, creative independent interview that you did I yes. think where you were sort of discussing how you wanted to incorporate some of these ideas into 
teaching from your own perspective and i found it so refreshing because like this is the kind of stuff that i always wished was available um and it's why i didn't ultimately end up going to music school you know or staying in music school um exactly yeah for because it's, yeah. yeah it's just the way that same here the way that it works like if we study the things that are actually involved in understanding what we're doing and how it works so that we can chart our own paths in terms of utilizing those things and honing the technology that we have to be able to make something of consequence that is meaningful and inspiring and uplifting to others, you know, that isn't going to come from, I mean, this is my two cents, but I don't think yeah. that that's generally going to come from taking somebody else's approach to deconstructing why someone else's work works. You know what I mean? Like I know. Yeah. Your Oof. opinion of why Bach is dope is not what makes them dope. <laughs> and you're never going to achieve anything. Okay, I'm, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead because this is, this is a conversation X. that I can go on about um but it's neither here nor there because as you mm -hmm. pointed out there are other options for those of us who are interested in learning in this kind of way you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation too that you are developing your own curriculum and, and stuff like that what is the present status of that and how can interested parties learn about how to get involved yes i mean thanks for sharing that data on the institutions. I mean, we've been under educational reform for so long, I can't even remember. Um, and I could have just, obviously, I've got experience within these institutions, you know, and, you know, some of the good ones, so they say. Um, but, you know, I was wildly disappointed. Uh, my parents remember when I returned from this school <laughs> that it was so hyped up to me. The first semester I come back, I literally looked like a like I had been to prison, <laughs> you know? I don't smoke cigarettes, I don't wear bandanas, but somehow I found myself smoking a cigarette and wearing a bandana in front of my parents. And they're just like asking me like, how'd it go? You're, this was good, right? I mean, what? And I'm just so- They're like, like, we spent all this money. <laughs> they're like, yeah, the 100,000, tell me it was good, you know? And I was just kind of like, it's the word, it's, all wrong you know it's just like no <laughs> so you know so that but you know i've always i'm thankful for the good parts but the bad parts i made sure i kept that data because again i was working in that real-time moment i was collecting data the whole time even you know after finishing said school and coming back as the associate professor i had that same i was excited at first oh, this is such an honor. I'm one of the youngest professors here. Oh, this is great. And then the syllabus comes in. I got to read the syllabus and then, you know, have that ready to go. But when the kid, when the students come in and you see their eyeballs and they're like, I, like something else just happened. I was just like, I can't teach you this. <laughs> you know? Like my inner, like, I was like, and I started slipping in my own, like tiny little things, little bits of me, not to make a correction on this, on these curriculums, but to insert some humanity, you know, like some, because when you're dealing with those people, they're not written into the course, like they're not accounted for. So they have nothing to do with it. Okay. Yeah. But it's Which like, is, how did you become who you are? It wasn't by following somebody else's like written out instruction guide you know what i mean like no and that that became uh well that deals with um levels of fearlessness that i've kind of that fearlessness data that i've had to stack up um and you know you get that in modicums as you go if you find a little crumb here and there you just pile it in it doesn't come in big heaps um but that's just over time of um being able to have mentors since i was a child you know that's you're talking a lot of data and me looking at adults and seeing how and getting his data and like, you know, because you understand, like at that age, I had so many more neurons than these adults did, you know, and I felt that I'm like, I'm a little more than these people, even though they're bigger and so-called more uh, educated and 
but somehow I saw eye to eye with them. You know, I feel like I was um, really tapping into something uh, deeply universal somehow. Um, so that's that kind of those kind of moments have really helped. And each person has kind of given me a chunk of, you know, a jewel of energy of, you know, to, to keep going. Uh, and you can find that in many different places. You know, it may be one person who says a halfway comment that you really, really admire. And they're like, yeah, that piece you did, it was kind of good. And you're just like, I'm putting that in the, I got to put that in my thing, you know, before it gets stale. And like, I got to use that in the future. So um, I, a lot of moments like that have, have kept me uh, very individualistic. And I was kind of taught not to be a group person, even though that's a lot of our human history is, you know, pack. Like, it's how we, that's how we survived a lot of these much larger animals and things like that over the years is by that pack mentality, but um, that can also hurt you. You know, you have to also be careful of that because if that pack dies, you die too. <laughs> you know, you kind of, oh, you, if you're going to stick to that, then you got to stick to that group and that you may not want to do that. So um, I've kind of, it's made me into a natural maverick, you know, so, and that was early. Also, by the time college came around, I was like, oh no. But I feel like that's good mentors will do that to you because you yes. are not, I mean, anybody who knows anything or who's arrived at anything had more than just that one data point, you know, like it's, oh, yeah. it's that me, it's way me, of looking yeah. at yeah. it that you learn about in school is a single, it amounts to a single perspective and yes. ultimately there are many and um, getting exposed to as many of them as possible, especially from folks who have themselves been thoughtful and have sought out that exposure in their lifetimes. Absolutely. Um, you know, and again, it's like in the same way that if you are in the sciences, like, and you're looking at academic programs, like, okay, well, our laboratory has all of these resources and we have an fMRI machine and we have this and, you know, like, it's like, yeah, with music, they'll be like, oh, the rehearsal rooms are real nice. You know what I mean? And it's just like, the technology that's there is in the mentor. You know, yes. like, that's where, that's, right. that's what you're looking for is what is housing the keys to the information that's needed, you know, and to the perspective that is needed to be able to take all of these inputs and run them through uh, one's own experience and one's own perspective. And I think that that is something that's, it's very hard to teach, but it's also, in my experience, like the people who were the best at teaching that or have been the best at teaching that to mm -hmm. me or imparting that, I should say, are on paper the worst teachers. They don't have training and education a right, lot of times. Right, yeah. They don't show up to class you know like it's like just right. like it but the thing that you get is being around somebody enough and mm -hmm. starting to be able to just like you were saying those engineering students were doing when they were watching you to be able to you know learn through that kind of observation of reaction and to start yes. to understand the mechanisms that have evolved over the course of that person's artistic practice you know but are you, you know, are there any um, programs in development or, um, you know, already on the schedule, um, things that you're working on that I can let people or we can let people know about right now? Absolutely. So like about, um, I guess, two months ago or end of July, I, you know, because of all this data and all these feelings, um, as you know, as you know me closely these things have been brewing and um the, the you know so i've instead of <laughs> continuing to complain about it which i will uh but you know i had to make a move and that move was to start um what i call techno self school of philosophy um you know and it's made to be a broad term um but essentially um it's begun you know i've put out a couple of um you know it's i've been very vague with my uh, sending out the bat signal, um, but you know, um, it's made to be in that way. Um, 
to find those like particles, those people who are thinking like me in this particular instant uh, time period. And, um, you know, I've created a portal for them. Um, and we just, you know, obviously it's based off of this techno self philosophy um, that, you know, listen, this is about the self. The self is also plural. It's also about all of us. You know, it's kind of a very empowering, humanistic, revealing. Um, it's a result of me uh, cross-referencing many different curriculums again over many years and um, compiling this in a way that it functions. You know, as a living curriculum. You know, it's a one-on-one system. Um, I spend an hour a week with uh, typical participants um, and some people do once a month most people do once a week um, and you know there's returns every week um, there's deliverables every week there's different system creation every week you know we I, there's everyone involved is very different there's percussionists there's computer coders there's 3d uh, you know polygonal manipulators you know there's um, there's all kinds of different people um, and you know we address them all as creative technologists and we support their imagination and you know I push them uh, using my own personal data um, which you know the curriculum is different for each person uh, because I deal with the participants own flux of energy and productivity and whatever system they use to create we ex- we just basically uh, upgrade this and remind them of all these other things like you said that like we wished our schools had done for us but that's fine we're you know that was for us to gain that data to understand what to create next um so i'm putting my foot forward with this and it's been over two months now and it's just the the byproduct of such an experiment is just ridiculous you know like everyone there is such a great example of humanity you know what I mean? And they're all into the concept. And, you know, so it's amazing, man. So, you know, if anyone is interested, of course, um, you can just email me at technoselfs at gmail.com. Selfs plural. Yeah. So T E C H N O S E F S at gmail. Oh, you missed an L in there. <laughs> Techno <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Does the um, Techno Self School of philosophy have merch and does it come in black oh you know i got you man i'm already yeah i got some things brewing with that you know Uh, because yeah it's you know the portal is what i call it uh, is really going to function as many different things not just a a laboratory where i you know uh, help people just you know incubate their ideas and grow them um, and grow systems to get these things done but also you know, it will function as, you know, I mean, I have my own label and I would love to feature some uh, some of these works in that way. And through my Techno Self Immersive Festival that will be digital this year, of course, online, uh, perhaps next month. Um, definitely be on the lookout for that. But I, I want to have a section that features, um, you know, TSOP participants. And so it's really a big part of my life, you know, um, as I've kind of been working on this and um, it's so nice to see the evolution from me making a 12-week course, you know, that was very much in that institutional, you know, uh, format, which I had to do. Um, but then to see it progress to what it is now as this kind of living portal, um, you know. And like you said, like, um, we, we go to these institutions because of the, the people, the personnel. It's always been about that, you know. Uh, John Hopkins has to have, like, a name cardiologists you know they got to have a name you know it's all about that the person so it's essentially getting back to that I mean the school is based on my personal data you know and how it is triggered by participants Um, and that's the most pure fastest transaction of data that I could create for all involved so it essentially will act as a kind of nuclear fusion reactor for uh, all the people involved. And, you know, we have our own um, Discord community. Um, so we have our own private server. So we connect there, chat, video, all the things happen there. So, yeah, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. If you are interested in what you've heard us talking about over the course of the last hour, do not miss your opportunity to learn from one of the leading minds doing this today. 
And in closing, I just want to ask, you know, we we can get enmeshed in the how and why of technology. We can be inspired by the how and why of technology. But ultimately, we think of technology as being important in some ways because it's a means to an end. But as they say, it's about the journey, not the destination sometimes, <laughs> you know. Yes. And um, so I'm curious, in your drive and your apparently relentless pursuit of running up against these borders, you know, in ways that people have done, you know, people who have inspired, I think both of us have done um, in the past, but also in a way that's unique to your own path. What is technology a means to an end for for you? Um, for me, it's, it's all about communication, you know. It's just clearly what we're here to do <laughs> as computing systems. And obviously, to even consider ourselves technology, it's pretty self-explanatory, you know. It's like, what do you, what, what are you expressing? You know, you're, you're a you're a creation machine you know what i'm saying so it's, it comes down to saying something yeah couldn't have said it better or more succinctly thank you so much d um such an honor rafiq the honor is mine yeah it's been amazing speaking with you and um i'll look forward to the next one absolutely all right sir you take care have a good day such an honor peace Thanks to my friend, the legendary DeAntony Parks, for joining me. I'm always inspired by how expansively and boundlessly Dee looks at music and all the simultaneous ways in which he's pushing it forward. It feels like he's in the future already. Head to deantony.bandcamp.com for more about his work and follow him on all the usual social media networks if you feel so inclined. Plans We Make was created by me, Rafiq Bhatia, and my Sunlux bandmates Ryan Lott and Ian Chang, and was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Special thanks to executive producers Michael Kaufman and Hannah Hauser for all their support, and be sure to subscribe to Plans We Make wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for new episodes on the theme of collaboration coming soon, and make sure to listen to Ryan and Ian's previous episodes if you haven't already. I'm Rafiq Bhatia. Thank you for listening.